My name is Mark Beatty, Editor-in-Chief of Frontline Gastroenterology. I'd like to highlight some of the content from the September issue of the journal. The first article I'd like to talk about relates to jejunal feeding and when it is the right thing to do. This is a very complicated topic. It's straightforward if there's a structural problem which precludes oral or intragastric feeding, but more complicated in patients with no clear structural abnormality. In this issue, Payne and colleagues review the complexities. What is the goal of therapy? Is the patient malnourished? The different causes? The practicalities? The need for an exit strategy? And the what next question if jejunal feeding fails? The evidence base for the relief of functional symptoms, that's nausea, vomiting, early satiety, the feeling of fullness and pain in the absence of a physical cause, is limited. And this makes it all the more challenging. The authors discuss the multiple differential diagnoses, including rumination syndrome, cyclical vomiting disorder, cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, functional dyspepsia, pseudo-obstructive disorders, multi-system disorders, including neurological, disordered eating, and food intolerance. There's a strong emphasis throughout the article on a cohesive and rehabilitative-focused multidisciplinary approach to improve outcomes, avoiding jejunal feeding where possible. The authors discuss the concept of effortful oral feeding as least worst option in the face of ongoing symptoms, in the absence of malnutrition, of course, sometimes being the safest and most appropriate approach compared with the risks and complications associated with jejunal feeding. This is a really excellent article written by experts in the field, and I certainly suggest that you read it in full. The second article relates to multi-professional in-situ simulation as an effective method of identifying latent patient safety threats on the gastroenterology ward. I really enjoyed this. In-situ simulation is an effective training method for teams to deal with emergencies in high-pressure environments. It can lead to improved patient safety by allowing the identification of latent patient safety threats. Utley and colleagues report the 22 unannounced in-situ simulation sessions supervised by a trained facility in a single centre over two years. The sessions were multi-professional, 96 participants, and covered four common gastrointestinal emergencies. Massive upper gastrointestinal bleeding, biliary sepsis, complications of ERCP, and cardiac arrest. A full debrief followed each session. There were four main themes, systemic and human, identified, including education and training, equipment provision, medication and team working. An action plan was put in place to deal with issues that had arisen, including retesting. The detail is all in the paper. Feedback from the participants was very positive. 95% felt they understood their role better. 86% felt more confident, 96% felt comfortable during the debrief. 
the process and its ongoing evaluation will, moving forward, enable teams to improve efficiency and patient safety in a non-threatening and constructive learning environment. So, in effect, learning on the job. There's an excellent accompanying commentary, the potential and challenges of utilising multi-professional in-situ simulation. The article itself is Editor's Choices Month. The next pair of articles I'd like to cover are Adult Liver Transplantation, a UK Clinical Guideline, Part 1 and Part 2, published together as an excellent resource for the management of patients who've had transplantation. Liver transplantation is a highly successful treatment for all types of liver failure, some non-liver indications and liver cancer. Actually, liver cancer accounts for up to 25% of liver transplants in the UK. The 12-month survival for all liver transplantation is in excess of 90%. The challenges come from how best to manage the patient. And although the transplant itself will be in one of the national centres, management pre-operatively and post-operatively is across networks involving primary, secondary and tertiary care. So in this issue, we've published a multi-centre evidence-based two-part guideline specifically aimed at non-specialist clinicians caring for patients with acute and chronic liver disease. The first part examines who to refer for liver transplantation, how to refer, the liver transplant assessment, and how to manage the patient on the waiting list. The second part, surgery and post-operative, covers organ donation, organ allocation, and organ types, liver transplant surgery, the post-operative period, how immunosuppression should be managed, and the overall approach to management of the patient in the post-operative period from a liver transplant point of view, looking in the longer term. The authors incorporate recent national and international guidance where appropriate. The guidance is very practical and very focused, an essential reading and well worth accessing as a resource. The next article I'd like to cover relates to the organisational changes and challenges for inflammatory bowel disease services in the UK during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're all aware that the COVID-19 pandemic has presented significant challenges for patients with chronic inflammatory bowel disease, like other chronic medical disorders, including the need to access healthcare despite services having been diverted, the risk-benefit of usual treatment, and the potential need for shielding. In this issue, Kennedy, as part of a large multi-centre group, explores the organisational changes made and challenges in delivering safe care. This was by Internet Survey, 125 units in April 2020. It's very interesting to work through and it's very interesting to work through and think about what's happened since. In summary, there was a significant reduction in staffing parallel to a significant increase in IBD advice line contacts with reduced access to face-to-face -face consultations, endoscopy and admissions. This 
proved challenging and now the catch up from that is quite difficult. There was, however, an increase in use of telemedicine, virtual meetings and non-invasive monitoring. And that's interesting because there are several implications from that, from a period of uncertainty, when rapid changes in how we practice and how the evidence base underpinning it emerged, with the massive potential for morbidity in non-COVID patients, the reality of diverting services, but also potential new ways to deliver medical care during the ongoing pandemic and beyond. The final article I'd like to cover relates to refeeding syndrome, physiological background and practical management. Refeeding syndrome is the adverse clinical and biochemical state that can result from feeding malnourished patients via any route, oral, enteral or parenteral. In this issue, De Silva and Nightingale review the physiological background and practical management. The main clinical problems relate to hyperphosphatemia, hypermagnesia and hyperkalemia. Sodium retention is common. It's important to have a high index of suspicion, especially in the malnourished patient who has had nothing or little to eat in the last five days. Generous electrolyte and vitamin replacement is essential. Non-protein calories should be given as 50-50 carbohydrate and fat and at less than 50% of requirements. Increase slowly with careful monitoring. Understanding the physiology is key to practical management. The review is practical and focused and well worth a read. I'd like to finish by mentioning the fact that we continue to publish articles on COVID-19. We've published a further evidence review of recent papers, which I hope is helpful. These are challenging times. I'm grateful to you, the listeners, the readers, the authors and the reviewers for their continued support of the journal. Please continue to read, enjoy and feedback. Follow us on Twitter and listen to our regular podcasts and look out for our online first content. Keep safe and stay well. I'm Mark Beatty, Editor-in-Chief of Frontline Gastroenterology. Thanks for listening. Thank you.